You are listening to Revival Talk. I'm Pastor Terry Bailey, and I want to thank you for joining me today on the podcast. Today's message is a war over your words. In this message, we will talk about how to use the Word of God and speak the Word of God into every circumstance and every spiritual battle that you face. And I want to talk about this morning a war of words. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. If you're there, say amen. It'll be on the screen. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. And 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12 says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you are called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We're engaged in a conflict. The Apostle Paul writes in our text in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, and he says, fight the good fight of faith. The Apostle Paul says it is a good fight. I've never seen a good fight. A good fight, I guess, is a fight that you win. But even if you win, you still had to take some blows. So you still feel the effects of that fight. But this is not a battle with flesh and blood. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We are battling an unseen enemy. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, he used the analogy of a soldier. He said, you must therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Oftentimes, this battle is a war of words. The enemy attacks with accusation. The Bible says he is the accuser of the brethren. When we are born again, when we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, we enlist in the army of the Lord as soldiers of the cross. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5, it says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And listen to this, verse 5. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, I could preach right there for a few minutes, and I could talk to you about having the mind of Christ, having your mind renewed by meditating and studying the Word of God. But we cannot fight spiritual battles with carnal weapons. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 from the New Living Translation. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We cannot fight spiritual battles using natural carnal weapons. But the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God. Can somebody say amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Galatians 5, 16 and 17, I say then, walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Who is this unseen enemy? Who is this we're battling against? Well, the Scriptures 
say the following about this unseen enemy. He's mentioned in seven Old Testament books. He's found in 19 New Testament books. And he's referred to by every writer in the New Testament. He's referred to by our Lord Jesus Christ some 15 times in the four Gospels. The following scriptures will give us insight into our enemy. In 1 Peter 5, 8, he's called an adversary. In 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, he's referred to as an angel of light. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, he calls him the corrupter of minds. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 3, he's identified as the dragon. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 39, he's called the enemy. In John 8, 44, he's called the liar and he's called the father of lies. In Acts 10, 38, he's called the oppressor. Ephesians 2, 2 calls him the prince and the power of the air. Ephesians 6, 12 says he's the prince of darkness. First Peter 5, 8 says he's a roaring lion. Matthew 4, verse 3 calls him the tempter. Matthew 13, 19 says he's the wicked one. Why is he mentioned so many times in the scriptures? Because we're to be warned of his enmity and hatred for God's creation. He opposes God's purposes on earth and he devises schemes to prevent God's people from entering into those purposes. We're engaged, I believe, in a war of words. In our text in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, the Apostle Paul calls this a fight of faith. He said this is not a fight with your fist. This is not a fight with swords. This is not a fight with carnal weapons, but this is a fight of faith. We fight with our faith. Did you know that faith has a voice? And faith is activated through what we speak. We war with our words. Revelation 12, 11 says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. What is my testimony? My testimony is the word. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. If you look at the Hebrew calendar, we're in the decade of pay. P-E-Y, not P-A-Y, not a paycheck. Come on, somebody. But we're in the decade of pay. Pay is a picture of the mouth. It has to do with our breath. Is it any wonder that we cover our mouths with a mask? Is it any wonder that COVID comes to take our breath away? This is the decade of declaration. This is a time to watch over our words. And the enemy comes against us with words. Let me show you some things in the scripture. First of all, he speaks words of condemnation. How do we overcome condemnation? Well, we go to the word. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Let me tell you that the enemy will come up beside you some days and he will begin to whisper in your ear and he will talk to you about things in your past. Look at your neighbor and say, Everybody has a past. But we don't live in the past, we live in the present. And my Bible says that he is an ever-present help in the time of trouble. And we look to the future. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when he forgives you, he washes your past away. And he does not remember your sins. He does not remember your transgressions. He does not remember your missteps and your mistakes. But he takes care of those. And the Bible says he throws them into what we call the sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west. And he don't 
don't remember them anymore. But the enemy never forgets and he'll come up and he'll talk to you because he's trying to draw you back down in that place of condemnation. How do I deal with condemnation? I go to Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Can you say amen? He's a condemner. But secondly, he speaks words of accusation. In Revelation 12, verse 10, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. We overcome the evil one by speaking the word of God. 1 John 4, 4, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We must war in prayer. We war on our knees. We pray for our family. We pray for our city. We pray for our state. And we pray for our nation. Why is it important to pray and intercede for our nation? Because if there was ever a time that this nation needs prayer, it's today. If there was ever a time that the United States of America needs godly leadership, it needs revival, it needs the church to arise and shake off the slumber and the sleep of this age, it is today. And it will only come when God's people, when the saints of God get on their knees and cry out from an altar and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord over this nation and begin to war with the scriptures and declare, Wilt thou not revive us again that we may rejoice in thee? Psalms 32, 3, 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. You see, we're battling an antichrist spirit in our nation. It's not the coming antichrist. It's not the son of perdition. It's not the man of sin. But it is the spirit of antichrist that is preparing the way for the antichrist. 1 John chapter 4, verse 2 and 3 by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the Spirit of Antichrist which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Dr. Chuck Pierce writes in his book, God's Unfolding Battle Plan on how to identify this spirit. He begins with lawlessness. Dr. Pierce defines lawlessness as to be without regard for the principles and regulations established by a governing authority. It means to be uncontrolled, unruly, disorderly, or unbridled. I think that describes the day that we're living in. So the Antichrist spirit is linked together with lawlessness. The Antichrist spirit is the anti-anointed spirit. The Antichrist spirit opposes any move of God's spirit. And this system of Antichrist, the Antichrist system can be defined by five distinct operations, each of which has been used to create a lack of blessing within the church's domain. Satan knows full well that the blessings of God, listen to this, the blessings of God cannot rest on a region that is controlled by any of these. The first is anti-Semitism. As Gentiles, we've been grafted through Christ into the holy lineage of God's covenant nation Israel. And the Antichrist spirit attempts to create a division, a baseless hatred between the Jewish people and all others who would otherwise stand beside them. A few years ago, Beth and I were in Israel in 2015. We went to Israel, and I remember we were up in Tiberias, which is on the Sea of Galilee. And we stayed in a big house, and it was, it was run by a ministry called Rose of Sharon. It was a house of prayer, and people go there, and they'll stay, they'll pray, they'll journey out of that house to different parts of the land. And there was a group there from Finland. 
And one guy was there, and he was in Finland. And he was there, and, and he had been there for several months, and he was spending time uh, seeking the Lord. And the day I met him, he was, he was witnessing to an Arab man about Jesus, about the Messiah. And we happened to be there when they have what they call Holocaust Remembrance Day. And on that day, they blow all of the sirens, all of the air raid sirens for several minutes. And I was out on the balcony. I was looking over the Sea of Galilee, that beautiful view. And the sirens were blaring. And I took out my phone, and I just recorded. I wanted to record that moment in time. And I'm recording that. And this man's name was Timor, Timothy. He come running out there. He said, are we okay? I said, is Holocaust? He said, oh, I forgot. He said, I thought the missiles were coming. I thought the missiles were coming from the north. And I saw something. I saw how they had to be prepared. We stayed in one apartment, and that night Beth and I stayed in the bomb room. In that apartment, they have a room that's a bomb shelter that's set up. If the missiles come, those families go into that bomb shelter. And I thought, wow, wow, anti-Semitism is alive in our nation today. You're hearing it from some of our radical members of Congress that Israel is an apartheid nation and that uh, they have no business when, when all they're trying to do is protect themselves. Jewish people are being attacked in the streets of New York, Los Angeles, and other places and across the world, and tens of thousands are marching in Europe. Secondly is the abuse of the prophetic gift. And just as the Lord has been restoring the prophetic gift to his people in recent years, Satan has raised up a counterfeit to confuse, alienate, and destroy. In every region of the world, people turn to prophetic voices for guidance. And there's all kinds of talk about who missed it about Donald Trump and what prophet said what and this prophet. Whether somebody misses it or whether somebody's a false prophet or not, we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. The third is an oppression of women. We cannot fulfill the Great Commission without men and women working side by side. This morning we were talking about Sister Clara Hicks. Well, Sister Clara Hicks has had a profound impact on our life. And I told him, I said, she was a woman evangelist and preacher before there was a woman evangelist and preacher. She blessed a trail. And anybody ever came to me and said women can't preach, I'd say, let me just introduce you to Sister Clara Hicks. We've got to have men and women working side by side in the kingdom. And what the enemy wants to do is divide us. The fourth thing that you can see is ethnic domination. Whenever one ethnic group is being dominated by another, the Antichrist spirit is in operation. God has called you and I to be peacemakers and reconcilers in the name of the Lord. Number five is sexual perversion. Point to any society throughout history that has allowed sexual immorality to run rampant and you will find the antichrist system at work the enemy's desire is to lead people into willful rebellion wickedness and corruption which is all characteristics of perversion dr chuck pierce says as perversion becomes the standard in american society we must understand this is not a private issue but this is a de demonic structure that is established to invade every facet of our culture while preventing god's will from being done Satan wants to keep you defeated. But God has given us tools to be victorious. We're a victorious people. We're not a defeated people. 
Satan wants to keep us in poverty. He wants to keep us in infirmity. He wants to relegate our spiritual existence to barren religion. He wants to steal every ounce of joy and purpose we have in life. And it was up to him we would never know abundance, health, or freedom in worship. But I've come this morning not to talk about Satan. I've come this morning to give you some good news. Are you ready for some good news? In John 10, 10, Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So how do we live this abundant life? How do we overcome the enemy who seeks our demise? The very first part of that scripture says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. How do we have peace in the time of conflict? Well, we do that by putting God first. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruit of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. If we're going to live to be victorious in this battle, then God must be first. Listen to what he said to the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 and 6. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the Father upon the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who keep me, love me, and keep my commandments. So we war against the enemy by speaking the word of God over our circumstances. You say, Pastor, are you talking about positive confession? No, I'm talking about professing the word. There's a difference in confessing God's word over circumstances and then it's just having positive confession. You know, now, years ago, this was taken to an extreme. And I knew people, they just, they, they say, if you're sick, you don't confess being sick. The Bible said no weapon formed against you shall prosper. didn't say weapons wouldn't be formed. So what I do is I think we have to be realistic when we're having issues and having problems. I don't think if I say I've got a headache that somehow God in heaven's not going to heal me. Come on, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to just have a little common sense right here. Is this okay? But I've got to learn how to speak healing over those parts of my body that are out of alignment. I take the scriptures. I listen to the scriptures. I take the scriptures and I pray the scriptures. Understand that we have to learn how to speak God's word into the circumstances of our lives. How many of you have lost loved ones? Well, how do I pray for them? Well, I pray for them and say, in the name of Jesus, I bind the enemy that's blinded their mind to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's blinded their mind and kept them from seeing all that God has for them. And I pray that they'll have a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You said in your word, that to the Philippian jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your household shall be saved. You told Noah to take his sons and his daughter-in-laws into the ark and his family was saved. So Lord, I believe that household salvation is in your word. Therefore, I come into agreement with your word and I speak that over my son, over my daughter, over my grandchild, over my brother, my sister, my spouse, whoever it may be. And I keep praying the word over them until they have an encounter with God and they pray to receive the Lord. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. Notice what Jesus said when he was tempted of the devil. Verse 2 says, And he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But notice what he said. He answered with the word. He said, Satan, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 
And in verse 5, the devil took him up to the, into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And notice what Jesus says to him in verse 7, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. He answered the enemy with the word. He didn't try to meet the enemy in an intellectual argument. He didn't try to, to reason with the enemy. He met the enemy with the word. How do we meet the enemy? We don't try to reason with him. We don't try to have a philosophical argument with him. We don't try to debate him, but we answer him with it is written. Why? Because there's power in this word to overcome the evil one. When we learn to declare the word over our circumstances, we're speaking life into those circumstances. Why do we pray the word into our circumstances? Our words carry power because the word of God is a faith-filled book of hope. I remember a story that Gene Hancock told when he was here some years ago. They have a bus that they use there in Belize, and he said they loaded that bus with food, and they started going around to the villages and giving out food and giving out food. And realistically, they should have given out all the food, but there was one village that was in great need, and they decided that they would go down there. And when they went down there, they had just what they needed for that village and he said that God multiplied that food on that bus to take care of that village you say is that true well look if he can open the Red Sea and folks can walk across on dry ground he can make beans and rice and meat and all that go further I had a pastor that was doing evangelistic work in Idaho many 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 years ago he's in heaven today and he said that they had a tire on their trailer that was bad and they didn't have the money to put a new tire on that trailer. And they pulled all their equipment and in that trailer as they would go from church to church and place to place to preach revivals. And he said that, so they got over there one night and they prayed over that tire. And they gave that tire to God. And they said, God, we're doing this work for you and we're asking you to let that tire. He said, that tire outlasted the good tire. Some of you need to go out there today and pray over your tires. Romans 15, 13, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. John 6, 63, It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. But the words that I speak to you, their spirit and their life. In Matthew 12, 34, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Proverbs 18, 4, The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The wellspring of wisdom is a flowing book. Luke 6, 45, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We war with our words. What are you speaking? What are you saying? What are you declaring over your family? Hebrews 10, 23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. What has God promised you? He's faithful. What has God promised you? He's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. He will keep his word. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. What is the confession of your hope? The confession of my hope is the word of God. The confession of my hope is that God has made me this promise and he will keep his promise. So what is my faith declaration today? Let me give you these and I'm finished. Philippians 4, 19, my God shall supply all of, uh, your, uh, my need according to his riches in glory. You have a need, he's the need supplier. 
1 Peter 2, 24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Acts 16, 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved in your household. Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Luke 10, 19, behold, I give you the power over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Psalms 37, verse 4, delight yourselves also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Matthew 28, verse 20, And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Those are things that you can confess over your life. Those are things that you can confess over your ministry. Those are things you can confess over your family. Those are things you can confess over your body. I've come to tell you that we have to war with our words. Can somebody shout amen? On October the 24th, 2020, I would just happened to get on Facebook that night and I saw a video pop up of the president at the time, President Trump, and he was speaking at a rally and there was a crowd of people behind him and all those people were wearing masks and the Lord spoke to me and here's what he said. He said, the enemy has tried to silence my people. He's tried to take your voice, but I am removing the mask. I'm removing the restraints and I am restoring the voice of my people. I'm giving my people a greater voice. And here's what he said. There will be new microphones to amplify your voices in the coming days. There will be new platforms to declare my word. I'm ripping away the mask and giving my people a second wind and a greater voice. How many of you are ready to get that second wind and have a greater voice? Stand with me.